This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, Parshas by year 5784, Perik Chof, Pusik Bays. So I'm going to skip around a little bit. I'm going to try to go into something that's bothered me for a while. This deals with something that actually came up in Parshas Lech Lecha and then continues into Vayera. It's Vayomer Avram el Sara Yishto. Avram said to Sarah's wife, Achosihi, she is my sister. Right? Vayishtach Avimelech Melech Gor, Vayikach Asara. And Avimelech, the king of Gor, sent a message and he took Sarah. He sent messengers, sent people out there, and he took Sarah. Now, this is obviously not the first time this has happened. A very similar thing happened by Paro. Not exactly the same, but very similar. That Paro took Sarimenu. And the results were pretty much the same. A miracle was relied upon. Avram said that she's my sister. And both of them did not go well. At the end, Avimelech here, Paro does not really get an answer from Avram. Paro approaches Avram and says, What were you doing? Why would you do this? Avram totally ignores him, or the Pusik doesn't feel the need to tell us what Avram said. But here Avimelech goes to Avram and says, what's going on here? Why did you do this? And listen to Avram's response. Vayomer Avram, Kiamarti, because I said, Rak ein yiras elokim But, or only, there is no yiras Hashem in this place. Varakti aldvarishti, varguni, I'm sorry, aldvarishti, and I might be killed over the matter of my wife. It's clear that Avram, you know, you know, was saying to Avimelech, I don't trust your men, I don't trust anybody here, and I was worried about being killed. And the question is, is that really what the issue was? He then goes on and says, Umnum, she is, really, she is my sister because she's the daughter of my brother. He, he goes on and explains it, and that's not something I'm going to be dealing with today, but it is a little strange. So where Victor Miller says, he points out, that according to most counts of the ten nisyonos, the ten tests of Avram Avinu, this makes it in. Avimelech and Avraham is one of the ten tests of Avram Avinu. What in the world is the test? And the answer is, says Ravigda Miller, a woman taken by a monarch, by a king back in the day, there was no hope she was ever going to be brought back to her husband. Avram, however, never lost faith and always believed that she would come back, and therefore he passed his test. Not only was she returned, but he was given a tremendous gift along with it, and wealth. He knew that this would happen in the future as well, and our enemies would return everything they had taken, along with the captives, when it would be necessary. Now that's amazing, and all of that is absolutely amazing, but it still leads to a massive question of why. What was Avram Avinu thinking? And what happened over here, especially when the first time he tried this, it did not go well. What was he expecting this time around? So, first of all, I, I guess even before that, why was he traveling in the first place? Avram Avinu traveled the first time because there was a rub in the land, a hunger in the land, and he couldn't feed his men. So therefore he had to get out of there, so he had to go down to Mitzrayim. Here, he had a home. There was no official rub, although yes, there definitely was a hunger going on. But Avram Avinu would... Obviously, I mean, if I'm dealing with the greatest Balbi Tachon of all time, what made him see a need to leave his home that things were going to be better elsewhere? Why would he think that way? What was the thought process? If anything, staying home would be the smarter move. It would be easier and not having to worry about guests or things like that. Now he's giving up any chance of him having any guests. 
right? He was told by HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he was going to have a baby. He was promised that it was going to happen soon. You'd think the last thing you would want is for Sarimenu to be traveling from place to place when she could be pregnant, which is exactly what happened. They were traveling when she became pregnant. So the Chassam Sofer says that the incident of Sodom happened and Avram saw that his schus didn't help them and they were completely destroyed. He blamed himself for their deaths and all of their destruction, especially because he davened for them and it didn't work. And therefore he put himself into a self-imposed gullus to work on himself. That's an unbelievable answer. This is a gullus for a reason. Now, Rashi says it's because of the bad name that Lot had for himself after it was found out that Lot was together with his two daughters and had had children with them. That he didn't want to be known for that, and then he went in another direction. That is not something I want to concentrate on this year. That's something that's in Pusik Aleph in Parakhov. That's something else entirely. But it happens to be an amazing thing to think about of what this is in the first place. Regardless, okay, that's where Victor Miller, and that's the Chassam Sofer. Now, let's get into the whys. Why did this happen exactly, and why did he think it was going to work out better this time? There is a Rabbeinu Bechai over here who quotes the Rabbeinu Hananel. He asks the question in a stronger fashion. He says, in Mitzrayim, he clearly relied on a miracle to get Sarai out. Sarai had to call on a Malach. The Malach had to whip Paro. Clearly, <coughs> it was miracles. Was he really expecting a miracle to happen this time? It's one thing to be able to rely on Hashem and have that be tough and everything's going to be okay. It's another thing to say straight out, I'm expecting a miracle to happen. He quotes the Rabbeinu Hananel. And he says that this time, he doesn't say it about the last time, but this time, he divorced Sari Yimenu. He gave her a get. Why? He was afraid he would be killed if he told everyone that she was his wife. He didn't want to go around and lie again like what happened in Mitzrayim. So therefore, he simply divorced her. He said, HaKadosh Baruch who promised we're going to have a child. So that's going to happen no matter what. But that doesn't mean that I have to put you in Sakana. We obviously have to be here either because of his self-imposed gullus or because he had to get from get away from Lot, whatever it is. But I don't want to put you in Sakana. So therefore, I am going to divorce you. He gave her a get. Therefore, he didn't tell anyone that he was married to her because he wasn't. She was known as Aisha Savram by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because truly she was. He only gave the get because of the pleishtim. But nonetheless, technically, she was totally allowed to be together with Abimelech, and it wouldn't be an issue. Now, this is a super interesting call. It's called a Gerashen Mipachad, a divorce out of fear. The divorce was not based on something that was literal, something in front of their faces, but rather out of fear. It's considered an ones, beyond someone's control, which is why the puzzle says, She really does belong with her husband. And that's why Avimelech was Zohar to have a vision from HaKadosh Baruch Hu telling what was going on, and why Avimelech thought that he could argue his case back. What I was supposed to know, that the divorce wasn't a real divorce, that the divorce was a divorce from, from, from Ones, I was supposed to know that was going to happen. What did I do wrong, said Avimelech. That was the line that he said back. Rav Chevelle says an unbelievable thing. In the bottom of the Mosad of Cook, Rambans and Rabbeinu Bechayas, there's the, 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 the parish, I guess you can call it, from Rav Chevelle, who's a tremendous Sadiq, tremendous Talmachachim. He even wrote it in English. If anybody sees the old Rambans in English, Rav Chevelle wrote a parish in English on the Ramban and everything there. But this is on the Rabbeinu Bechay itself. He suggests that this divorce was not done with the star because the only time you have a divorce with the star is by Jews and Avram Vino was not a Jew. It doesn't exist by non-Jews. Instead, saying that Sarah is his sister 
was considered a divorce from Sarimenu. By claiming that she is not my wife, she is my sister, that's all you need by a non-Jew to make a, 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 a divorce to work. And we can see that in Yushalmi Kiddushin Parak Aleph. By non-Jews, that might be good enough, right? It's dependent on another Machlokes. If the Avos were considered B'nai Yisrael or B'nai Noach, of the B'nai Yisrael, that wouldn't work. But if they're B'nai Noach, it would work, right? I think that's the idea behind it. And maybe that was the Machlokes, Avram and Avimelech. Avram considered this possibly to be a legitimate divorce, while Avimelech said it's not a legitimate divorce because you never gave her a get in the Ksav itself, so maybe you're not married. I, I don't know. I'm not positive what it was. But by B'nai Yisrael, we know it has to be Baratzon, and Sarimenu did not accept this divorce. And therefore, even though Avram Avinu said that it was, right, it might not be good enough because either it had to be Biksav and it wasn't Biksav, or because Sarah didn't accept it and therefore it wasn't a good divorce, or maybe, right, HaKadosh Baruch who didn't want it in the first place, it's considered a Gerish and Ba'ones. All of that is amazing. That's an amazing answer from the Rabbin Abachai, and that's why he thought that he would be able to go through it. The Otsar Plos Torah asked the question, he says, well, wait a second, how would Avram Avinu be able to remarry Sarah Menu after this? Avram Avinu was considered a Kohen, and a Kohen, as we all know, cannot marry a Grusha, even your own Grusha, who did not marry anybody in between. It's not a Machs or Grusha, so. But you can't marry a Grusha afterward. This is in Nidarim, Lamed Beis, and Beis, that Avramina was called a Kohen. He might have even been a Kohen Gadol. How in the world was he allowed to remarry his own divorced wife? And the answer is based on Rabbi Yosef Engel, who writes in Beis Oats, who asks the same question about Keturah, who may have been Hagar. He already divorced Hagar. How could he remarry Keturah? And he says, the Avos did not keep the Torah minhadin. They kept it as a chumrah. Which meant that if there was a reason to do something else where I divorced a woman, but I feel like I have to get back together with her, even though by Jewish law, that would be a problem because Avramino had the status of a Kohen took, taking it away from Malki Tzedek. If he felt it was the right thing to do, then it was mutter for him to do. So too, if she would have married Avimelech, she would have been married after a divorce, which is usher to go back to your first husband. That's a machzer grushaso. If she would have married Avimelech, that would have been a problem. Even so, Avramino would have understood and said, look, I I know what the Torah says, but I don't want to do something that's not the right thing to do. It's the same basic idea why Yaakovina was able to marry two sisters. You can use this all over the place. This idea of how to be able to do. Since he knew that Avramina was Avramina knew that he's supposed to have children through Sarah, of course he allowed her to marry her. Yeah, did. How do you establish the Kohen thing for Avram? I mean, how does that, how it's a Gemara in Dharma Lama Beis that when he gave Malki Tzedek Melech Sholem, right, the option of whatever it was, Malki Tzedek Melech Sholem came out to him and he tried to give him his Maestro Mikol, it says because Malki Tzedek didn't say the proper introduction to Avram, he said hello to Avram before greeting Hashem, so to speak, therefore Malki Tzedek lost his status as the Kohen and it went to Avram Avinu and his children. And the simple, simple Pshat in that Gemara is that Avram Avinu himself became a Kohen and he took on that status. In fact, it's possible he even had the status of a coin gadol, but that's based on another medrash, right? But that's that. That's where it comes from that he had no, the status of a coin. That's kind of, I mean, just because the might lose it doesn't mean that Avram automatically. Gets well, it. it came to him. He was the one who was Roy to get it. So the next person who was Roy ended up getting it. Kahuna back then did not go from father to son like it did from Aaron and on. So it was able to be passed along. If Kahuna was flexible back then in terms of that. Why do we hold that you can't marry Grusha back then if you're a coin? Maybe you could. Then you can be a Kohen and Mary Grusha. The, the din of a Kohen going to the children is not a din deal raisa. 
that's something that we did after Aaron a coin as a gift to him. But the din of a Grusha marrying a coin is a din Dilraisa. That we wouldn't be able to play with unless we have this idea that the Vesa Otsur says, that Rav Yosef Engel says. That's the only way to be able to do it. Now all that is one... Yeah, Ali. Nisyonos, as we said before, because that cha- that was where Victor Miller, where Victor Miller said that he was able to say, I have bitachon, that everything's going to work out well, even though he knew that it was a real problem. But that's the first thing we said, that's from that. Yeah, yeah, Yaakov. When would the, how would the Kudah have been passed down from Avram? From Avram Avinu? In theory, the next person worthy would have been Yitzchak. The next person worthy would have been Yaakov. Yaakov Avinu gave it to Levi, right? Possibly to Yehuda. It depends on who he made as the Rosh Hashiva at the time of his Yeshiva. And then eventually got passed down to Aaron. That's when Moshe Avinu came down and said, Aaron. Korach obviously argued and said, no, we're all Kohanim. It could have been the Bechors by Reuven itself. But somehow they were going to get it. That's the basic idea. Yeah. Remember, uh, just remember, that was the Bechorah status that Esav wanted to sell to Yaakov. So there was that status even then, that the Bechorah status was, was, was the Kahuna. Yeah, that was the concept of Kuna. So that the was Bechor, there. So the, so the Bechorah thing was what Yeah, that Bechorah was possibly the Kuna. But again, it might have also been the Roshiba business. By, maybe, the uh, maybe, uh, maybe, because it's not necessarily the Bechorah status, because we see the Bechorahs didn't have it. They would have been Levium, would they have been Kohanim? That's a shot. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, but why not over here? I have a great answer for it, and it's actually pertinent to what's going on with Ineritisol right now. It depends on the situation. If you feel you can make a Kiddush Hashem by the situation that you're in, by going ahead and taking the person away, then you do it. He felt the biggest Kiddush Hashem was to take load out, and therefore he did it. By this story with Sari Menu, with Avimelech, and with Paro, he did not feel that there would be a sufficient Kiddush Hashem to be made that would allow him to be able to do it. The fact that he's a great warrior wouldn't mean anything. But saving Lot, who was taken out, would have been a different story. And especially if he would have divorced her, that would have been there. So I, that is the basic answer. There's more to it, but that's the basic answer. To I just don't want to go too far into it. The Shach says a very different idea. All that is one answer. Okay, but now we have another answer. What's going on over here? Why was he doing this? Avram Avinu had the custom to publicize God's name through food and drink. That's what he did. He was afraid what Avimelech's reaction would be if he tried to do this in Avimelech's land. He was going to Gror. For whatever reason he went to Gror, the Chassam Sofer, Rashi, whatever, he was going to Gror. He was afraid what was he going to do if he went into that land. So he needed to find some way to make peace with the king so the king would allow him to do whatever he wanted. He trusted in Hashem so much, he knew nothing bad would happen to Sarimenu. Knew it. He absolutely knew it. So he went in saying she was his sister and she did the same. That's important. The Shach says that. That they did the same. And all of this was to get Avimelech to recognize how great Avram Avinu was. Recognize the awesomeness of what kind of a person he was. Which would eventually allow him to do whatever he wanted in that land. Similar to Avram Avinu and Mitzrayim saying, I need Matanos, the gifts that he expected to get from Sarimenu. The same thing over here. One might call that selfish, that's a very hard thing to understand, and that's something that I can work on over there. Over here, the concept is, he knew this is what Hashem wanted, this was the means to an end, he wasn't worried anything would happen, and therefore he went in and do it. And then he suggests something crazy. He says that Avram told Sarah while they were traveling that they could not be together. They were not allowed to be as husband and wife. And thus, they would be traveling as if they were siblings. And that's what he meant, Achosihi, she's my sister, 
because I simply can't be together as a husband and wife while we're traveling. Avi Melech, if you'll remember, was able to see such things. When he saw Yitzchak and Rivka later on, he looked in his astrology and was able to recognize that Yitzchak and Rivka were married to one another, that they were together in some way. And therefore, when he saw that Sarah and Avram were not being together, he understood that they weren't married. And that's exactly what he saw, which is why he did what he did, knowing who Avi Melech was, knowing what he would see and understanding what was there in front of him, which is a crazy shot. What were you going to say, Yaakov? I hear you. I guess that sort of depends on some level of bitachon. He was telling that to Avi Melech. I think he understood what he was doing, and he was telling Avi Melech what he said. But I don't know if that's the real reason. If he had pure bitachon, yeah, according to the shach at least, that wouldn't be an issue. That wouldn't be an issue. Now, Rashi says something crazy over here. In a Pashut reading of Rashi, Pashut reading of Rashi, Rashi says that Avram did not ask Rishus from Sarah to do this. The first time by Paro, he told her, please do this. But this time he didn't even ask. He did it against her will, right? Even though it was bad for her, since she was already taken into Paro's palace and it didn't work out for her then. Do you hear that? He did it against her will. That's what Rashi says. The Balaitosvos, they all point out that later on, Avimelech says that Sarah herself said she was Avram's sister. So how is this against her will? How is this possibly against her will? And he answers that Avram had to make a very quick decision here and did not have time to discuss it with her. That's how the Balitosis put it. Rashi says it was against her will. Tosa says he didn't have a choice. She didn't want to do this because she knew what happened the first time they did this and they got out of it by the skin of their teeth. But once Avram said what he said, she wouldn't contradict him and repeated the line that she was his sister even though she didn't want it. That's how Tosis puts it. But both Rashi and Tosis are going in the same basic direction that either they were forced to do it or whatever it was, but she didn't want this. She never wanted to be dealing with this. Those nine Latorah says, there's an even bigger question that can't be answered with the terrors of the Bali Tosfos. Avram even mentions later on when he talks to Avimelech, we haven't done this possible because I didn't read this out loud, that he told her, whenever we find ourselves in a sticky situation, I want you to say you're my sister. That's what he says to Avimelech. He says why he does it. And Rashi's like, oh, but he's, they, they did it against her will. How is it against her will if Abram told her every time this is what we're going to do, and he says later on, Avimelech, this is what I told my wife. I told her to do this every time we're in a bad situation. It clearly is with her permission. It always is in her permission. Now, Aznai Latour doesn't answer it. There's a Divrei David, a Mizrahi, a Gorarie, a Maskele David, a Be'er Basada, a Nachlas Yaakov, and a Tzeda Lederech. They all deal with this question. They all deal with Rashi. I'm not going to. Okay? It's a lot. It was quite a bit of stuff. There's an unbelievable thing. I do have a page on it, but I didn't add it to this sheet. But that's that. The Nitziv says that any time Avram went somewhere without Ruach HaKodesh and Nevuah, he was not told to go there. He wasn't told what to be. He was afraid something bad would happen because he knew Mivarchecha Baruch I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. He was worried that there were people that were going to do bad things to him. And that's that. In Eretz he wasn't worried, right? But he was worried when he wasn't in Eretz And the area of the Plishta may not have been in Eretz And therefore, without a direct Sibui from Hashem, he had that worry and felt like he had to do something and therefore did something which, according to Rashi, was against her will. The Abarbanel, I'm sorry, the Alshech, gives a fourth answer that makes a ton of sense. 
He did not tell her to say anything about this. He did not say anything to her because he wanted to do this himself. He knew that eventually someone, or maybe some ones, would come up to him and inquire about Sarah, asking, who is this woman? You don't seem to be married. I don't see a ring on your finger, right? So it's clear that this woman is somewhere around. And he planned to tell them that she was his sister. If they proposed to him that they wanted to marry Sarah, he would push them off by saying, no, I want somebody else. She's married to someone else. I'm looking at someone else. He would push it off, and that would be the idea behind it. She wouldn't have to say a thing. There's no reason for her to say a thing. Because why would she talk if normally all marriages went through other relatives? There's no reason for Sarah to say anything. The only issue was by Paro. He said, say you're my sister. I'm not sure what the Egyptians are going to do. But here he wasn't worried about that. He figured he was going to be okay. What he didn't expect was that Avimelech would come and take her for himself. At that point, he was worried because that was a king who he didn't expect. He thought that would happen in Paro and Mitzrayim, but he never expected that to happen here. He figured in Gror, they could figure things out. He would push things off. He would tell people crazy things until Sarah made was going to be around. That's the idea behind it. Then the Hagionis Agirshuni even says, I don't even know how this is possible, but he didn't actually call her his sister. He called her his sister as a term of endearment and to trick people. But he never told people, this is my sister and I am not married to her. They heard what they wanted to hear. They understood what they wanted to understand. He said, Achosihi, Right? You could take that in a bunch of different ways, especially because the word achos in Hebrew can be understood in many different ways. Yes, obviously it can mean sister, but it also is a term of endearment. One could call their wife achos, especially because back in the day, there were still people who married very close relatives. So that was, after all, what was Sari Menu to Avram Avinu? How were they related? Niece and uncle. Niece and uncle, they are really close to each other. To call a niece the daughter of your brother, a sister, is not off from the total way that they did things back then. It does sort of make sense. Says Yonasagashuni, they heard what they wanted to hear. He didn't lie. He said what he said and allowed them to understand what they wanted to understand, but he did do this. However, I will tell you that Nitziv does bring an opinion that Sari Benu did this on her own without Avram telling her to do this. She didn't want them to kill Avram. So she went around saying that he is my brother, right around the opposite, even though this seems to be against the Pusik itself. Now, all of this brings us to a Ramban. The Ramban explained this isn't what happened in Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim was different. There, the guards at the gate saw her. They praised her to the king. She deserves to be with the king. So they took her to the king. That's because Egypt was a land filled with immorality, filled with znus up to the top and terrible behavior. Avimelech was a better person than that and his people were better people than that. Yes, Avram said there's no Yerushalayim here, but there were better people. His men were more civilized. Avram suspected them of being evil and that's why he said that she's my sister. He suspected the people of Avimelech, but they were better people than that and that's why Avram was willing to stay there even after this misunderstanding. And that makes sense because Avimelech did get an appearance by God in his dream. He spoke to HaKadosh Baruch that didn't happen to Paro. God spoke to Avimelech in a dream telling him to stay away from Sarimino, granted through a Malach, but that's pretty amazing. I don't know how many people here have had, had Kurdish Baruch who talked to them in a dream. We're seeing some pretty awesome people who somehow had d- discussions with God, like Cain and Parshish Barashish, 
Like, <laughs> I, I, it, it seems to be absolutely amazing. Noah getting in a vua after being totally drunk and reveling in his drunkenness after the teva. Hugger seeing four, possibly five malachim. And now Avimelech having a vision of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. This is pretty amazing. Absolutely amazing that they were there. The Rambam points out, the real wonder, he says, is that Sarimin was still beautiful enough that Avimelech wanted her to be his queen. She's 89 years old at this time. And granted, 20 years earlier, when she was 65, she was beautiful, beautiful enough to be taken by Mitzrayim. But there's a big difference between the ages of 65 and 89, even back then when people lived a little bit longer. That's still a major difference between them. And it's shocking that 24 years later, after that had happened before, she is still an unbelievably beautiful person. He suggests... Maybe, after Sarah was told she was going to have a baby by the Malach, she went back to her youthful appearance. And that seems to be the indication of Bab Mitzi on Pei Vavam and Aleph, that she went back to her appearance. Yeah, Ali? Did you mention she was pregnant? Not yet. I said she will be pregnant. She will be pregnant, and they are traveling. But she was not pregnant yet. She will be very, very soon. The Barbanel also suggests the real reason why Avimelech wanted to marry her is because, not just because she was beautiful, but because he wanted to be Shaykh to Avram Avinu's family. And therefore, because he wanted to be known as Avram's brother-in-law, he was willing to do that. Immediately, the Oznayim Latorah says that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Avram Avinu is afraid of being killed because someone's going to take her to be part of his family. <laughs> Does that make any sense at all? That doesn't make any sense at all. Like, I, I, that, that, something's wrong with that. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. But that's what the Abarbanel says. The Rechaim HaKadur says very similar to the Ramban. I'm going to skip it for right now. Now, the Ramban also says that Abramino always had this deal with Sarah. He told him that most of the world is devoid of Yeras Shemayim. Wherever we go, we're going to play this game, and that's that. And it's exactly what he told Levi Melech. What kind of civilized nation comes up and asks me about my wife and asks, what's she to you? It's just not a normal question to ask. There's no time that anybody here or anybody around you has ever gone up and said, Sunu, that your sister or your wife? Maybe a Mea Sharm at one point. But like that's not the normal thing to say to somebody. Like, what in the world is going on? Who in the world would ask that of somebody? That's what Avi, Avram Avinu was saying to Avi Melech. You think you're civilized, but there's something terribly, terribly wrong here. And that's that. There's a Malala Omer that says this over here. It says this idea. But let's go on. Aznayin Latorah asked the question, how Avram asked Sarah to lie. Now again, he said Achosihi, and that's possibly not a lie, like the Hagionis Agershuni said. But how could that be that he asked her to lie? Listen to this. The Ramon Yoradea Simon Kuf Nunvav Sif Gimel says that even though it's forbidden to say you're a goy, to get out of being killed, you cannot say, I am a goy. Right? If they say to you, are you a Jew? If you're a Jew, we'll kill you. You cannot say, I am a goy in order to live. That is usher to be able to do. However, you could say something that could sound like something else in order to not get yourself killed. You could say, say certain Allah things, Akbar, but not others. I'm sorry? They say Allah Akbar. You can say Allah Akbar. Allah Akbar, I don't, uh, I mean, I guess uh, God is strong. <laughs> you can say that. God is strong. <laughs> there was once a guddle who was asked at the time of Xerah if he was a Jew. They went up to him and they said, are you a Jew? And he said, ken yodea. Right? And the guy understood, right? You should know. He understood as kain yodea, which sort of like, how would, why would that be or something like that? Like the way of translating it. Right? He meant he wasn't Jewish. But he said it as ken yodea. You should know. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, I 100% am. You can say it in that way to make it sure it's like that. Chachma, as we said before, is called one sister, a Mishle, Parag Zayin, Pasig Dalad. She was a greater Navi than he was. So that's Achosi. Achosi, like that Yonis Agershuni said before, is a possibility that it means they're greater. That isn't lying. It's saying something that could be misunderstood. And that's basically the answer that Yonis Agershuni before. One time, Rav Meir Simchav Devinz, the author of Mesha Chachma and the Or Sameach, so he went to St. Petersburg to fight with the government over secular education, right, in their school system, right? But what they wanted to do, and the Russians, it's famous, this happened in the late 1800s, the Russians wanted to add on the Russian language and other sciences in the school system, and they were very against this. Rameir Simcha went there. He saw, when the rabbis were all getting together, he saw the Chafetz Chaim walk in. An elderly Chafetz Chaim, he was still in his 70s, I think, but the, an elderly Chafetz Chaim walked inside and he was shocked Ramir Simcha was shocked that the Chavetz Chaim would waste his time coming to a meeting like this. So he ran over to him and asked him, what are you doing here in St. Petersburg? And the Chavetz Chaim said, my sister is having surgery, so I had to come. So Miller, Mayor Simcha said, where's your sister staying? Who's the doctor? What hospital are we talking about? I didn't even know you had a sister. Like went around and asked the Chavetz Chaim, and the Chavetz Chaim stopped him. And he said, you misunderstood. I'm not talking about my sister. I'm talking about the Torah. They want to cut out the Torah from our school systems. How could I not come? But again, you see the concept that the word achosi can be used in different ways. Granted, that's not the way that I ever would have used it, but it is the concept of achosi being used in different ways. That's the idea behind it. Now, the Sforno says that Avram Vinu had knew the Plishim had no fear of their own kings. They were just Sarnim, heads of state. Avimelech was not a real king. He was a guy who called himself a king, but he wasn't a real head of state. He was a chief. Goliath proves this to us when later on he calls himself the Pelishti. When clearly there was a king that was in charge of him. There was Achish at the time. He was the king of Pelishtim, but he called himself the leader to King Shaul. They weren't afraid of other people, right? And that's why he was afraid. If you don't have covered Malchus, if you're not afraid of the policemen around you, right? If you believe that you can do whatever you want, like Seattle, right? So then, yeah, anything could happen. Don't go there. That's what Avram Vino was worried about. He understood that they did have a fear of heaven, says the Sforno, but they had no fear of Elohim, which was their leaders and their kings, judges. That they had no fear of. That's a scarier thing. That's the idea behind it. But you have to wonder, how did he know there was no Amunas Yeras Elohim there? How did he realize there was no Yeras Elohim? He'd only been there for a little bit. He walked in saying, she's my sister. What did he see? Now, obviously, Rashi answers the question. They came in and they said, is this your sister or your wife? That's Rashi's answer. And Munas Yitecha says he walked into the room and he realized he felt a downgrade in his own Yeras Elohim. The only way that could happen is if other people around him didn't have any Yeras Elohim. When you walk into a land that's something, again, not you and not me, but great people that are on unbelievable highs, maybe Dave, right? But and some people can walk into a room and they just feel like the Yeras Elohim is gone. That's what happened over here. The Medrash Lekartov, you hear what he said? Listen, this is unbelievable. He said he watched the way they walked. He watched the way they walked. He saw that men walked behind women and on the side of women. And he saw there was a lack of tzniyas between them when they walked. And it sounds like that a lack of tzniyas is a lack of yiras elokim. You hear that? He says, that's, it's a medrash like achtov. This is not like a random, you know, achron. This is not like, you know, I, 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 anybody getting up and saying that. But there's more. Notice that the Pusik does not say there is no yiras elokim. Rock ain't yiras elokim. What does that mean? Only 
There is no U.S. Elohim in this place. I found it hard to translate when I first did it in the beginning of the Pasuk. The word rock does not belong here. It should not be only there's no U.S. Elohim. A double negative, which rock only, ain, there isn't, sounds like a positive. There was U.S. Elohim there, says the Chizkuni. But there was a lack of anything else. They didn't have anything else. There was a lack of anything else, and that was scary for them. The Rukeach says something similar. Abba was saying that the poor people of Yerushalayim, there were people of Yerushalayim, Rak, ain't Yerushalayim, but there wasn't by the head people. The people that are in charge of that of Yerushalayim, they weren't afraid of anything. There was an inclusion and an exclusion. There is some, but there was no Yerushalayim by you, and that's what he was worried about. Right? The Orachayim HaKadosh saw that Yerushalayim, he goes on, okay, I'm going to skip that for right now. Then comes the Rabbeinu Ephraim. This Rabbi Ephraim is amazing. He said, I see unbelievable mitos here, but I don't see fear of heaven. You guys are kind. Okay? You give tzedakah. He said, you guys stand up for the old and you help other people. But you don't have your Kim. And with all of those good mitos, says Rabbi Ephraim, none of those mitos, if you don't have your Kim, they mean absolutely nothing. Look at what he's saying. He's looking at them and saying, I see a nation that's unbelievably good. You really did. Avimelech, you did a great job. You led them in the right direction. Everything's good. Rock, the only thing I see is Ain Yerusalem Bamakamazeh. There's no Yerusalem here. Who was the most civilized nation in the beginning of the 20th century? Germany, by far. But we see what happened. We see what kind of people they are. Why didn't that Kurdish Baruch who want Ben Israel to go by Derech Eretz Plishtim? Kikarovu, says the Pasuk. That's the reason why you should go there. It was close. No, it was too close. They had Derech Eretz, the Plishtim. But they had no Yeres Elohim. You can't go to a land without Yeres Elohim. Without Yeres Elohim, it's the scariest thing in the world. That's the Ksavikabal as well. This city was unique. They had everything else. But they didn't have Yeres Elohim. Rebbe Chanu Wasserman says, aside from Yeres Hashem, they were not missing any Midos. They had everything perfect. Literally, they were a walking Musr Safer. Everyone in this city was a walking Musr Safer. They had Chachamim, they had Derek Eretz, they had so much more. But it didn't matter because they didn't have any Yerusalem Kim. It's very similar to the Germans, Yimach Shemam, as Rebbe Hanan himself says this. The Germans, Yimach Shemam, at that time, tremendously civilized. They had good people, but they had no Yerushalayim, so it didn't matter. And that's why, in Micha, it says, Kizekol Adam. This is everything about a person. If you don't have it, nothing else matters. You're not a Ben Adam. You're a Baal Chai, who is taught how to have good manners when you're supposed to have good manners. That's the idea behind it. Every animal that doesn't use its cocos properly becomes a terrible creature. Worse than any animal, any animal, is a human being that has no Yerushalayim. By far, there's nothing like that. Absolutely nothing like that. We've seen it within the last couple of weeks. That's the concept. He says, if a person doesn't become a person, right, then he'll be the worst person of all. I don't care if he's a chacham. I don't care if he's a massive philosopher. Socrates, Aristotle, without Yerushalayim, it means absolutely nothing. And we've seen this over and over and over again in the history of the world. There's nothing even to talk about. The Malbim says it. A Chacham will fall prey to his tithes more than everybody else. There's no question. The bigger the Chacham, if he doesn't work on his spirituality and his Yerushalayim, he is the worst person in the world. I want you to look up the hidden stories of... Man, what's his name? Uh, who's the guy who's the paraplegic? Stephen Hawking. Okay? I'm going to warn you, and I'm going to tell you, 
there are some graphic stories. What maneuver beyond a maneuver? Beyond a maneuver, the guy is a paraplegic. He had no feeling in his body. But he is a feeling. He can't use his. Can't can use right. He, he is a maneuver beyond a maneuver. Look up what you can, and then censor it, and have somebody else look at it who's not Jewish because it's pretty terrible. Yeah, same thing. Socrates was terrible, right? Do as I say, not as I not as I do. Right? That that's the concept. It's so crazy. It's mama's crazy. A person who you wouldn't think I, I, there's nothing the guy can do. And, and the biggest, but he was married, and he's the biggest maneuver in the world. You cannot imagine anything worse than that. It's crazy. The Nitziv says the same thing. Ramosha and Darash Moshe says the same thing. Again, with Yerushalayim, there's nothing. The Chafetz Chaim says the word rock means there's nothing in the world that can keep a person from doing something bad as much as Yerushalayim. There's nothing else. Nothing you could have. There is no media that you could work on. Anything you work on, you want to become the biggest unav in the world. You want to become the biggest everything in the world. It will mean nothing without your Kim. That's what he says. Rechaim Knievsky used to tell people that the most important thing that people should achieve before getting married, he says, is Yerushalayim. If you have Yerushalayim, everything else will work out. Everything you'll figure out, you'll figure everything out. You just have to be able to work on that. The reason, he says, that we have these people that are learning on a very, very high level, right? But not as many becoming massive Talmudic Chachamim. They're learning on a high level. They understand things that are unbelievably high. People that are sitting in Yeshiva and they understand every Reb Chaim, every Reb Chaim Brisker. They understand every Chiluk, every Chakira. They can understand things so deeply. And yet they're not becoming Gedolim B'Yisrael. Why are they not Gedolim B'Yisrael? Said Reb Chaim Knievsky, because it's entirely dependent on Yerushalayim. If you have your Shemaim, you'll become a massive Tamachacha. And if you don't, you'll be tremendously smart. You'll know a crazy amount. But you'll never become a Tamachacha. You'll never become a Galulador. That's what he said. And that's crazy. Yeah. So, before you said that they did believe in Hashem, they didn't believe, they just didn't have a lot of respect for their leaders. Yeah. So if they did have it, then how do they not have Yerushalayim? It's the opposite way. It's the opposite way. Like, that's one opinion. Another opinion is, is that they had Yerushalayim, they didn't have anything else. This opinion, of all these different Rishonim and Achronim, is that the Rabbeinu Ephraim, to begin with, is that they had no Yerushalayim, but they had everything else. How were they supposed to have Yerushalayim? Like, how were they supposed to come to it in their place? place? You have to believe in God in your way. These people should have had some belief in God, and they didn't have it. They didn't have it. Avimelech didn't lead them to it. Fichol, Sartzvah, his general didn't have it. They did not have any belief in God. You don't have belief in God, there's nothing to talk about. Well, yeah. He obviously had some because he was able to receive Malach. Maybe Avimelech himself, but he didn't teach it. That, yeah. Avimelech. He considered himself the father and the king. Yeah, 100%. Hagionis Kirshuni says the craziest thing. He says, you know what this land was called? Again, what was the land of the Plishtim? What was the land called? Gror. What, you know what that Shorish is? It's Ger. He suggests the following. He says, many of the people who lived there, the, the Hagionis Hagirshuni, many of the people who lived there were actually Gerim of Avram Avinu. And that's the reason why he wanted to go there. They had laws that made sense. They followed everything. 
and maybe they even believed in God and kept some of the practices that they learned in Avram Vinu's house. Now does it make a little bit of sense why Avram Vinu wanted to go there over anywhere else? Maybe that's why. Avram thought that he would be comfortable living there when he had to leave his house for whatever reason. He felt he would be somewhat more comfortable there. But when he saw that the practices were in action and not in spirit, that they were willing to give in to a tithe or two as long as they didn't go against the law, then he knew he was in trouble with his wife and he knew he could not say anything. That's the problem. They were his old Talmudim. It could be Abimelech was his old Talmud. It could be Abimelech himself knew him. After all, he says, if Abimelech could just grab Avram's sister as a wife without asking permission from Avram, just bring him into the palace, you know something's wrong. You know something's wrong. What in the world is going on here? That's Revel Yashiv goes into how could he explain himself in his dream, what he was referring to and what he meant over here. And Rashi says an unbelievable marshal, the guest that comes into the city, as we've said before there. I'm going to go with one last thing from the Yamloes. I'm just going to tell you the basic medrash. It's an amazing medrash. Yamloes says that Sarah repeatedly told Avi Melech that she was a married woman, but he wouldn't listen because she, and she got very upset. She began to cry. Amalek came to her and said, you have nothing to worry about and everything will be taken care of. That's why Abimelech deserved this punishment. He was, he, and he got his punishment that he wasn't able to go to the bathroom at all. Since his family and his servants did nothing about it and they didn't complain, even though they knew that she was married as well because she told everyone that she was married, right? Unlike the measures that she was saying she was his sister, right? They were also punished. Their eyes, mouths, nostrils, and ears closed up. They became blind, deaf, and mute. I personally think that what he means is either they became blind or they became deaf or they became mute. I don't think they all became deaf mutes who were blind. I don't think they all like were Helen Keller's walking around. I don't think that happened. Some say they also had saras with the disease that's called ra'asun that doesn't allow you to be together with one's wife. Not only that, all the pregnant women among them were not able to give birth. Even the chickens in their palace couldn't lay their eggs, right, as long as Sarah was in Avimelech's palace, and they were all in tremendous pain. Abarbanel says that Avimelech did not did not get any plagues here like Avram Avinu because Hashem wanted them to remain in his area and Avram and Sarah were able to stay there afterward. He didn't care about Paro, but Avimelech didn't get any plagues. That's a little bit against the Miamwes itself. He then goes, Miamwes says, that Avimelech's next question, why he came to the area in the first place, if he knew his wife could be taken, Avram answered that his neighbors had become evil and began worshipping idols. And he had to stay far away from them so he wouldn't be in a dangerous situation, which is the third answer to why he felt that he had to move. Right? As we mentioned before, he had already decided that whenever he would go somewhere with his wife, he would go ahead and say that this is what he's going to do. He's going to say something would happen. But he felt that that was better than being around Rashaim, which is a crazy thing to think about. Either way, guys, this is an unbelievable bunch of psukim. I hope we gave some answers here that at least shed a little bit of light on this subject. But it is a crazy thing that happens. I think I have a little bit of a derrick now to be able to go through and try to understand it. All right, everyone. We'll stop right there. Have a great